Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. Are you truly wealthy or working wealthy? And what's the difference? That's one of the topics on today's edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, where your host, Barry Watts, fills your mind with creative ways that you can save on income taxes. And hey, I got a sneak peek of today's podcast. I happen to know he's going to introduce a very interesting tax strategy for wealthy people who think they don't have any tax strategy opportunities left. So buckle the safety belt. Captain Barry is in the cockpit, and we're about to blast off on another tax savings journey brought to us by SavingYouTaxes.com as we learn about new truth about taxes and retirement. Welcome to today's edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. I am indeed Barry Watts, your host and the lead tax strategist at SavingYouTaxes.com. Today, we're going to talk about how to create a very specific tax deduction that you've probably never heard of. It's going to be particularly helpful to wealthy people who feel like in the game of income tax poker that they don't have any cards left in their hands. But in the next few minutes, you're going to learn a way to create a card out of thin air that will give you a tax break, generate income to you and your family for generations to come, and provide a platform for your descendants to remember you and be reminded of the values you cherished and that you hope your influence has implanted in their lives. So it's going to be an exciting broadcast, and I'm looking forward to getting into it. But before we get into the meat of the strategy, it's important that we understand what causes some people to take these strategies and use them successfully, while others dismiss them as impossible or say it can't be true. In fact, I had a listener to the podcast from uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area called about a month ago to talk with me. And one of the first things he said was, my buddies don't believe you. When I tell them about your tax strategies and the ways that you teach about tax savings, they say it's impossible. And if it were true, every CPA would already talk about those things. All right. So how did you respond to him? Politely, I think. Politely. Well, I actually, yes, I did. And, 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 and there's some background to it. Uh, first, I ask him this question. What is there in the initials C, P, and A that makes you think the typical CPA would do tax strategies? Certified public accountants are record keepers. They take transactions of the past and they put them in order so the tax collector is satisfied. A CPA looks in the mirror, the rear view mirror, at what happened behind you last year. And he or she reports on the route you took to get where you are. But a tax strategist instead looks through the front windshield at what's coming up on the roadway in the future. They look at the map and they plan the most efficient way to get where you're going. But what qualifies you as a tax strategist exactly? Well, that's a great question. And part of the response would be in what qualifies a CPA as a tax strategist. Actually, uh, they don't have tax strategy qualifications. They have accounting qualifications, which I do not have and do not want. 
But uh, I do have tax strategy qualifications, though I wasn't trained in college or at the university in accounting. Rather, I was trained through the Internal Revenue Service, earning qualifications that allow me to appear before the IRS in the same way that a lawyer or a CPA does on behalf of clients who have tax problems. In addition, I spend about uh, two weeks a year, every year, in educational tax summits taught by other tax strategy experts from around the United States. And together, we then gather and glean strategies and ideas. We figure out what's working across the country, how people are looking at the tax code and how to use it to their advantage. We also learn what's not working, things that we don't want to do. And then we bring, obviously, the working strategies back for use by our clients. And Patrice, there's actually something else I told our caller from Texas. Uh, I said to him, it used to bother me when people wouldn't believe what I was teaching uh, them. But as I've matured, I've been reminded that the greatest teacher of all, Jesus, drew crowds of interested people, but in the end, only a small few followed him. So if Jesus couldn't get people to believe what he said, he should have gone to the IRS for some training. (laughs) hang on while i put up my lightning rod just in case (laughs) oh my goodness well my point of course is uh, we recognize that some people are going to get it some people aren't and we hope that if you're listening today you're one of the ones who gets it because we've been doing this long enough and for enough people to know what works and what doesn't And it really makes a difference. In some cases, a six-figure tax difference. Oh, wow. Imagine saving six figures in taxes because you took strategies that are in the tax code. You just didn't know about them and didn't know how to use them. All right. Tell us, tell us, tell us. Well, first thing we've got to get to today, Patrice, is we're going to talk about uh, what the difference is between people who are truly wealthy and those who are what I might call the working wealthy. Obviously, the first difference, which would jump right out, is, well, I bet there's a few million dollars in difference, and and that's true. But the real difference is in how they think. You see, truly wealthy people, let's call them those who have 50 or $100 million, they expect their money to work for them, and then they live off the earnings created by their wealth. But the working wealthy, and that happens to be who most of our clients are, those people who have, let's say, 2 million to 10 million, maybe 20 million, maybe they built the business, uh, which they may still be running. And compared to the average person on the street, they have a lot more net worth. But if you check their attitude, they're still working like they have to earn enough money to make the mortgage payment next month. They don't feel like they have enough money so that work is optional. And they believe that they can't stop working and live off of what their wealth produces. So I suppose the difference between the truly wealthy and the working wealthy is first and foremost, attitudinal. And while the difference is measured in dollars, it's the psychology of the two different groups, the mindset that is where we have to dig in, begin thinking, and in some cases, adjust our own thinking about our own personal financial wealth. You see, Patrice, one of the true differences that I see between uh, the man on the street, the working wealthy and the truly wealthy, let's say, is how they think about ownership and control. Truly wealthy people understand that who owns the wealth isn't as important as who controls the wealth. Got it. Think about it for just a moment, regardless of who owns something. If you have control of it and you can do whatever you wish with that asset, then isn't control really more significant than ownership? 
if you, when you think about it, ownership uh, embeds costs. Ownership embeds responsibility. Uh, ownership embeds taxes, but control, well, you just get to enjoy the asset. In fact, uh, I have a friend whose uh, family owns a, a place up on Lake of the Ozarks in central Missouri, and uh, grandpa actually owns the place. And grandpa, uh, grandpa had a boat uh, that my friend got to use, and he enjoyed using grandpa's boat until the other day when grandpa decided to sell his boat. It was a 500 and some thousand dollar boat, <laughs> oh, which in my. my part of the world is a pretty expensive boat. And so the point is, you know, he was enjoying it, uh, but grandpa owned it and grandpa controlled it. Now, had he controlled the boat that grandpa owned, then it wouldn't have gotten away from him. But uh, he's down to riding in my boat now, and I'll tell you about it in just a few <laughs> moments. And it's not, it's not anything near as shiny as grandpa's half million dollar boat. All right. But question here. Yeah. How can you control something you don't own? It's really simple when you think about it in this way. Many of our listeners have living trusts that they have established to manage the distribution of their estate or to avoid estate taxes. And when you establish your living trust, you may have transferred your bank accounts, your real estate, your investment accounts over into the trust. And so you no longer own those assets. The trust owns them. But who controls the trust? You do. So you see, that's a very simple way to think about the difference between control and ownership. When you transfer assets into a trust account, the trust owns them and you don't. They are no longer your assets. The trust owns them, but you have control of them. And so when you begin to understand that, you're able to begin seeing the difference between ownership and control. And many of the working wealthy that we deal with already have in place trust where they've given their assets away to the trust, but they still control that trust and they can direct those assets to be spent in any way that they desire. So they feel okay with it. So the big message, Patrice, attitudinally is this, uh, control is more important than ownership. And that's going to become important as we unpack today's tax strategy in the next few moments. All right, go ahead. So imagine you've accumulated some wealth, could be 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, 2 million, whatever the number you want it to be is, and you want a tax break. Imagine that you're charitably inclined. You give to your church, your synagogue, your community, charities that are important to you. Under current law, when you give to charity, you get a tax deduction for it so long as you're itemizing. Now, unfortunately, 90% of taxpayers uh, no longer itemize. They take the standard deduction. But for those who do itemize, and most of our clients itemize, they actually get to take a dollar deduction for every dollar they give to charity, uh, up to 60% of their gross income. So if you make $100,000, you can give away and deduct up to $60,000. But under current pandemic rules, you can deduct actually 100% of what you give away if you give it in cash. So here's the point. Charitable giving is deductible. But when you give money to charity, you lose control of that money and you lose the benefit that that money affords you because you no longer own it. Now, let's go back to our discussion about ownership and control, which was most important, Patrice. All right. Control. That's right. Yeah. So what if there were a way? What if there were a way you could give money to charity and get a deduction for the gift? but still retain control of the gift and still get income from the gift or even alternatively actually receive the principal back at some future date. Oh, now that's intriguing. 
yeah, you gave it away. You got the tax benefit from giving it away, but you got to keep control of it and take income from it the rest of your life. And it could come back. Yeah, it actually even can come back. So we're going to talk today about one of three different ways you can do this. And the way we're going to talk about today is called the family endowment plan. It's a strategy that allows you to give money away, get a tax deduction for giving it away, but you and eventually your family retain control of the money and get income from the gift for generations to come. What you did is you gave away ownership, but you retained control and income. Now, Patrice, which is most important, ownership or control? All right, control. Still saying control. That's right. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you, Patrice, want to create a tax deduction and you want to give to charity. And so we create for you a family endowment. We're going to call it the Patrice Sikora Family Endowment. I like it. I like it. And let's say you're going to put a million bucks into it, okay? Yes. Because I know, Patrice, you're a wealthy woman because you're a radio producer, and we all know radio producers make the big, big bucks. In small packages, but that's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> well, so let's just assume you're in the top federal bracket. And what that means is 37 cents of every dollar in income that you make goes to the federal government. Now, you live in New Jersey where the top bracket is 10 and three quarters percent. So an additional dime and nearly another penny of every dollar goes to the state of New Jersey. So you're paying effectively 47 and three quarter percent of your income in taxes. But I don't want you to do that, Patrice. I want you to think about this a different way. Rather than do that, what I want to suggest that you do is give a million dollars to the Patrice Sikora Family Endowment, structured as a limited partnership. Now, 99% of the partnership, that's going to be the limited units of the partnership, is going to be given away. It's going to be given away to what's called a donor-advised fund. It's a 501c3 charity where the donor, that's you, instructs the charity on how to spend the money, who to give the money to. Meanwhile, though, Patrice, you're going to keep ownership and control of 1% called the general partnership. And when you have a limited partnership, it always has a general partner piece. And the general partner retains all control for management of the entire 100%, even though the general partner only owns 1% of the partnership. So effectively, you're giving away 99% of a million dollars, but you also maintain control of the entire million dollars through your position as general partner. Now, Patrice, what's most important, ownership or control? Well, we've been saying control, but I don't understand how this could be if you only own 1%. That's the, it's what the law says. The, when, the, when the statutes were written that created these things called limited partnerships, the way a limited partnership works is a, a, an entity is structured, it goes together, and that entity will have limited partnership units and general partnership units with the understanding that the limited partner units do not have any control over what happens in the company, and all of the control belongs to the general partner who only owns 1% of the company, say, or it could be 5% or 10%, but for our conversation today, it's 1%. The general partner only owns 1%, but because they are the general partner, they control 100% of the limited partnership, and the other 99% that they don't own is actually owned by the charity. That could be a very, very powerful tool. And this is what wealthy people do. 
Now, see, I know, Patrice, that some people who are are listening to the podcast today have already started to have a cramp in their brain because they've never heard about limited partnerships and general partnerships. And, uh, and then the whole idea of going to give money away. What are you nuts? I've been working for it all my life. I don't want to really give it away. And so, so their brain's about to explode and they've already thought about punching off and going to listen to a Jerry Seinfeld podcast or something like that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't touch that dial because this is really good. And remember, I told you the difference between the working wealthy and the truly wealthy is attitudinal. What you have to do is get your attitude in line and understand a new way to think. And the new way of thinking for this purpose is to realize that ownership doesn't matter. Control does. Bingo. Bingo. There you go. You not only maintain control, but you get a tax deduction. And because you itemize, Patrice, as an itemizer, you're going to be able to deduct 99% of the $1 million that you put into the Sakura family endowment. Now, the allowable deduction in your tax bracket of 47 and three quarters percent is going to be about $405,000 in taxes that you're not going to have to pay this year. And in subsequent years, if you can't use it all this year, because you use the family endowment strategy where you gave up ownership, but you retain control of your money. So Patrice, the question is, could you use a $405,000 tax savings? You could live on that, Barry. Yeah, for a while. Yes. For a while. But speaking of living on it, here comes an even better part. Because even though you gave this money away, you're retaining control of it. Now you're going to receive an income every year for managing the limited partnership. You're going to receive income every year for managing the family endowment. So let's say it's a about 5% of the million dollars. That's $50,000 a year in income that you will receive every year going forward. And in addition, you're going to decide every year along with your family, if you want to involve them, which charitable causes that you want to direct your funds toward. And you're going to have the endowment because remember, they've got 99% of the ownership, but not control. You're going to have the endowment give about $33,000 per year to charity. So here's what happens in 12 years, Patrice. In 12 years, you will have received back through the combination of tax savings and income 100% of what you gave away into the family endowment. You will have given away to charity almost $400,000, and you will still have control of an account worth $1 million. That was my jaw hitting the table there, that noise. Yeah, I understand. I want to go over that again, Patrice, 12 years from now. You'll have received back through tax savings and income 100% of what you put into the family endowment. You will have given away $400,000 to charity, and you will still have control of an account worth a million dollars. It doesn't get a lot better than that because you're, you're giving to a charity you hopefully care about. You have money to live on. You have money to invest. And best of all, you have money to give to your kids because here's what happens next. Oh, this is if the kids have been good. 
Well, yeah, you don't have to give it to the kids. You could, you could give it to me. In fact, for anyone who's listening, who doesn't have anyone they want to leave it to, I would suggest Barry Watts and Patrice Sikora would be wonderful uh, beneficiaries of whatever uh, grace you want to bestow upon us. We will receive it with grateful hearts. Well, we already have an endowment set up here. Patrice Sikora Family Endowment. Great name. We can get it set up real fast. There you go. We can. It doesn't take too long. So at, at some point, Patrice, you're getting older. And uh, at some point, you won't be with us any longer. And even though you will die, the Patrice Sikora family endowment will continue living on forever. And your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and on and on and on can control this asset in the future just like you have. And they will receive income from it every year in the future just like you have. And they can direct its charitable gifts to the causes that matter most to them in the future, just like you have. So, Patrice, think about this. You can either die and give your money to the kids and grandkids, and there's a chance that they'll blow it in short yeah. order. You know, oh, you know yeah. what they say, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. The first generation makes it. The second generation keeps it. The third generation loses it. Or you could create an endowment. That will pay the kids and grandkids a check every year going forward for the rest of their lives. And I just want to ask you, which way creates the most value? Can I ask one question first? You can ask as many as you want. Can I make sure that this endowment continues to benefit the charity I want it to? Yes, you could specify that as well. Okay. They can have some money. So, Patrice, we were talking about boats earlier. Remember that? Yeah. I've got a boat. It's a nice boat. It's 26 foot long and we ski and we tube and we fish on my boat. It's great. It's an old boat, but it's still a pretty nice boat, but I'm going to tell you a secret, Patrice. I wouldn't want anybody who would judge me by my boat to know this little secret, but I gave a whopping $7,500 for my boat. So my buddy, whose grandpa just sold the boat for over a half a million dollars. He's stuck riding on my $7,500 boat now. <laughs> But, you know, the kids are gone, and uh, Kelly and I, we've kind of been hankering for a new boat, Patrice. So we went online, and we built the boat that we want. And you know what the price tag is for the boat we want? How much? $213,000. What does it have? Well, everything. I would say including the kitchen sink, but actually my $7,500 boat's got a kitchen sink, so that's another topic. Anyway. Now, I'm never going to have a $213,000 boat. I'm not going to spend that kind of money. There are people who do, and I just kind of stand in awe. I just don't get it. I'm like, I, I, I could never do yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm with no you. matter how many million I was worth, I just can't see doing that. But uh, there are people, many of whom listen to our podcast, who have those kind of boats. Knock yourself out. Good for you. I'd like to ride on your boat. Enjoy it, too. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Here's what we need to think about with regard to our kids and our grandkids. Remember, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. So when your kids inherit your money, and get their inheritance, is there any chance that they might have visions of a cool new boat? Oh, yeah. Or an automobile? Oh, yeah. Or an exotic vacation oh, yeah. until all the money evaporates. So instead, why not think about creating a plan that will preserve assets for the family and provide income for generations to come so that 100 years or more from now, your great-grandchildren could be benefiting from the plan that you established? Or they could not have anything because the first generation inherited it all and bought a boat. <laughs> you get to decide. 
You see, the family endowment plan becomes a perpetual family bank that gives to charity and pays income back to you and your family while you remain in control of the assets and get a whopping tax deduction. Now, I'm aware that a family endowment plan might or might not be the right strategy for one of our individual listeners, but that's really not the point or the purpose of the podcast. The purpose is to cause listeners to have an aha moment when they realize that there are all kinds of things you can do to save taxes that you've never thought of before and you likely never will. Because in your daily life, you don't study the tax code and attend tax strategy seminars, but that's what we do every day at savingyoutaxes.com. We look at the tax code for ways that you can adopt the code and do unique things like this to create tax strategy for our clients. And while this strategy might not be the exact fit for you, we've got over 100 other strategies And I'm pretty sure some of them will fit your situation and that you can create tax savings for this tax year and every year going forward if you'll just inquire, listen, learn, and apply what you're learning. But Patrice, I do need to say that we need to get on this because we're recording this in September of the year. True, true. And we're looking toward December and we have to have done everything by December 31st. And it takes a few weeks and we have vacations and you're out of town and things interrupt and we don't get it done. And so plans that we're starting right now will probably be activated about Thanksgiving time. So if you're interested in this, you need to get on it now. And I would even suggest that you ought to consider letting us help you. You can do it on your own and that's fine. You can go to your CPA. That's fine. Probably they will say, don't know anything about it. Have never heard of those kinds of things, but, but, but I wouldn't do it. Might raise a red flag. I remind you, when was the last time following the law raised a red flag? Everything we do comes out of the tax code. There are no red flags. It's all in black ink on white paper in the tax code. It says you can do this. And so if you'd like for us to help you with it, well, that's what we're here for. And all you've got to do is reach out to us by telephone. The number is on our website at savingyoutaxes.com. Or you can click the connect button on the website and it'll put you uh, immediately in touch with us. And you and I will schedule a time that we can talk and then we'll determine whether and how we can help you. In fact, I've got a call this afternoon from somebody who came in by this exact route. And I'm going to talk to them. And when my secretary scheduled with them yesterday, she commented that they said, oh, we're so excited. Well, I'm excited too, and I hope that uh, it it turns out to be something that's good for them and helpful for them, and that we discover some ways that we can move forward in saving them taxes, and then directing those taxes back into their business or their family or their retirement accounts. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. On behalf of SavingYouTaxes.com, I'm Barry Watts, and I'll be looking forward to seeing you on the next episode of the truth about taxes and retirement. But while we're apart, I don't want you to forget this important truth. When it comes to wealth, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.